Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. I say this every week. It's time to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. People talk about gifts. They talk about passions. If you have a gift, lead with your gifts. And don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. My interviews on Money Making Conversations include celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and people I like to call industry decision makers. My next guest is Melissa Haslip. She is an award-winning filmmaker. Melissa has no, when I say that, from a producer, director, writer of the award-winning docu-series that I just recently saw, Mr. Soul. The film Mr. Soul is now available on HBO Max, one of my favorite channels. Melissa Haslip spotlights the groundbreaking variety show Soul with an exclamation mark. It's very important that brought out because that was one of the keys to the show being on television. And the enigmatic, enigmatic producer and host, Ellis Haslip. The late Ellis Haslip is Melissa's uncle. Ellis was a DC native and graduated from the Howard University. Now, before Oprah, before Arsenio, there was Mr. Soul, Ellis, America's first Black Tonight Show. The series is among the first to provide expanded images of African Americans on television with participants and regulations and illuminating archival clips. Mr. Soul captures a critical moment in our culture where impact continues to resonate and an unsung hero. That's him, whose voice we needed then, and guess what? We need it today. That's the importance of this documentary. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation as we discuss how dreams are built. Miss, she's the, she's the writer, she's the director, Melissa Haslip. How you doing there, my friend? Hey, great to see you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk about Mr. Soul. With an exclamation yeah. mark, exclamation mark. Gotta have the exclamation point. <laughs> you know, it's really important that, uh, you know, first of all, thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation, Melissa. Um, when I see a show like this, and you know, I just want to say it's like, you know, I, I've lived a good life and I hope to live a, continue to live a good life. When I see shows like this, and they, I, I kind of missed it. You know, I didn't see it when it was on. And even though I, I was... I, I should have seen it. It was on PBS. It was on regular TV. We didn't have cable back then. It was on the Channel 8 in Houston, Texas. That was my channel. That was my PBS channel. So I should have saw seen this show, but I was so busy trying to see blacks on other network shows, on The Tonight Show, you know, Ed Sullivan, uh, you know, Julia, you know, all these shows that, that when we saw it, we ran to the television set and told all our black friends, oh, a black person on TV. And it really is true. That really did happen like that. And uh, and so we were inspired there. And that's why black music was so important because we could see and feel our stars. And when it came to town, we showed up. Now, when you came about this, you know, he's a relative of yours. Walk us through the steps of this being brought to your attention. How was it brought to your attention, Mr. Soul, and the early steps of getting it to where we have it now on HBO Max? Yes, well, it's been a long journey. Mm -hmm. um, started making the film over 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine that's definitely a labor of love, right. but also a labor of love for the culture. It's a love letter to Black culture, mm -hmm. to Black arts, mm -hmm. you know, to Black lives, mm -hmm. everything that really matters today. Right. And what we wanted to do was to tell the story of, you know, this is sort of a cultural moment visually that happened before Soul Train. 
Yes. And everyone kind of thinks that our visual history, you know, on television and in the media started with Soul Train. And it's important to recognize that Soul was a television show, as you mentioned, that was on PBS nationwide from 1968 to 1973. Mm-hmm. And that those were really critical moments in which we were trying to reimagine ourselves on this cultural landscape and this American landscape and on the heels of the civil rights movement, Jim Crow segregation so much. And so the idea that you could have a full black experience on TV in your living room, you know, (laughs) at a moment when they weren't really feeling us because, you know, segregation and Martin Luther King had just been assassinated. It was a very, very volatile time. Um, race relations were not great, as we know, uh, in 1968. So here you have this extraordinary show that really reaffirms Black beauty, Black strength, Black love, Black sister and brotherhood. Yes. Then amazing soul music with artists you've never seen before on television for the first time. We well, yeah, Earth, Wind, and Fire for the first time. Absolutely. Al Green for the first time. Absolutely. Patty LaBelle and the Bluebells. You know, it's crazy. Well, you know, so the beauty have- of this show is that when I when I look at it, and thank you, Melissa, for just setting the tone of what we're going to be talking about. It was set in New York, correct? Yes, it was on PBS out of the flagship PBS station in New York, which is WNET, mm-hmm. Channel 13. Mm-hmm. But it was at the, the beginning of public broadcasting. So it was creating a national Black audience when when there really wasn't PBS just at that moment until the National Broadcasting Act created PBS. And suddenly you had stations connecting all around the country and everybody was getting to see you know Black people on TV. Mm-hmm. Right. Because right. you only had uh, ABC, CBS, NBC mm-hmm. and PBS. So right. those were the only options on television. And just it was monochromatic. There were no black people on television, pretty much. So that's why this show means so much to look back and understand what was soul about and how did it interrupt television as we know it and change the perception mm-hmm. of African-American culture. And black, making black beautiful. We know I'm talking to Melissa here, and she's the writer and director of the, it's appearing on HBO Max. It's called Mr. Souls. Hers is a docu-series. Like I said, the series is on television, PBS, uh, 1968 to 1973, and involves a a host by the name of Ellis. He was was not a guy who wanted to be a comedian, wanted to be a singer. He was another guy. He was a guy who was a producer. And, uh, and, and I would let to watch the docuseries and see how he became the actual host of the show. But he became a host from a standpoint of he followed his creative vision. In other words, when she talks about this show, the typical artists who appeared on the typical ABC, NBC, and CBS were performers. They were singers. They were comedians. They were actors. They were not traditional to the, you know, so the, but on his show, Mr. So, he had dancers, he had poets, he had individuals, he had interviews with, that would never, ever be on mainstream television, period. Wouldn't even be touched period. by the news, by the news. <laughs> and so it's important that we set that stage because of the fact of, why am I, why am I interviewing? Why is the importance of Mr. Soul? You have a show that was kind of, it was funded by the government, 
because of PBS. No, that's how shows get old PBS. They have to get funded by the government. And because otherwise, it would not have been funded or produced or picked up on traditional ABC, NBC, uh, CBS affiliates. And those were the dominant channels at the time. I'm just going to just take some young people back to that era. And when television went off back then, it went off. I mean, once the flag started, it just goes, and you had a dial tone that came on your screen, and that was it. Okay, once you saw the flag, you were done with watching television that night. That's the era we're talking about. Not the era of your phone, not the streaming and digital and all these different channels on cable and direct TV. When television went off in 1968, it went off. And you had to go to bed or, or, or you looked around and your parents looked in and wondered why you were still up because the flag has said, go to bed. Am I not right, <laughs> Melissa? <laughs> you ain't never lying, as they said. <laughs> and so you had this wonderful show called Mr. Soul come on television and uh, give us a little background on that, the purpose, yeah. and then the fact that he is a relative of yours. Yeah, and he's so an LSU. HBCU graduate as well. And, uh, yeah. and of Howard University in Washington, D.C. Talk a little bit about him because he was a courageous person. He was a creative person, but he didn't seek the limelight. That's right. Ellis Hazlip was my uncle, and he really believed in the elevation of Black culture. He believed that liberation came from freedom of expression, being able to express them to ourselves and be our true black selves, you know, not somebody else's definition of who we are. And that was really radical because black power, the black Panthers, that was just starting to happen. Mm -hmm. And here comes this producer who nobody knows Mm -hmm. and he's totally in the background, but he believes if you can just make black culture visible, black artists and black politicians, you know, controversial figures like the Black Panthers, Mm -hmm. but also artists that you would only hear on the radio or see. If you were lucky, you might see them on the Chitlin circuit. You might see them at the Apollo, Mm -hmm. but otherwise you only got to hear them on the radio. So imagine getting to see people for the first time and see groups like Cool in the Gang, Mm -hmm. Earth, Wind & Fire, Mm -hmm. Al Green, Mm -hmm. you know, jazz artists like Max Roach, uh, McCoy Tyner. Right. Uh, you know, people that you you might know a little bit about, but were literally getting their television debut because I have to remember this was before Soul Train and there wasn't a model for this. Right. So here comes Ellis Hazlip, who is kind of a fish out of water. He's never been on television before, but he's a theatrical producer and he believes in black culture. He believes in black dance, black poets. He puts Nikki Giovanni in an interview with James Baldwin. Yes. And many people have seen that because it went viral on television. I mean, sorry, it went viral on social media. Mm-hmm. But nobody knows that that came from Soul. So the series itself was called Soul. And then Ellis Hazel became known as Mr. Soul because his last name, Hazel, was hard to pronounce. And they would see him walking in Harlem and they go, there goes, um, there he goes, the, the Soul. Yeah, Mr. Soul. That's Mr. Soul. That's Mr. Soul. That's who that is. <laughs> Well, you know, so the, 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 actually known as Mr. Soul, so well, that's why we've named him. He deserved that title. He deserved that title. And the thing about it, the primary purpose of Soul was to educate 
entertain, mm -hmm. and allow people to share in the black experience. That's why it was on PBS. That's how it was sold as an educational platform. And it made right. blacks visible in a society where blacks had been invisible. When I say that, like she said, it, you know, we, we, it was a pretty dark period uh, for black um, civil rights, you know, uh, John F. Kennedy had been shot in the sixties, you know, uh, right. Robert Kennedy had been shot in the sixties. And of course, unfortunately also Dr. Martin Luther King had been shot in the sixties. Yeah, so blacks, blacks were lost. They had no voice. Yeah. And then this yeah. show called soul and that's a soul with an exclamation mark came on television. Um, and, and, and it allowed, like you said, this image that was portrayed. Also we had Vietnam war, playing mm -hmm. out in the background, and we had this uh, uh, Richard Nixon presidency playing out in the background. There's a lot of mm -hmm. behind-the-scene activity that goes on, and we hear the word cancel culture. You see how cancel culture plays itself out in this docu-series. Yeah. Of all the things that you were doing and evaluating, like I said, 10 years to do this, what surprised you the most and what maybe, say, disappointed you the most that the series wasn't appreciated enough and how it ended? if you can talk about that. I think what surprised me the most in interviewing people who were either on the show or people who were behind the scenes, like Stan Lathan, an amazing director. Stan Lathan got his start on Soul. Mm -hmm. Many people don't know that. Mm -hmm. He became famous when he moved to L.A. and started directing Sanford and Son and all this, everything that's happened since then. Now he's directing Dave Chappelle series. Mm -hmm. You know, but Stan Lathan cut his teeth learning how to direct on soul. And Ellis Hayes have always provided these opportunities for people who wouldn't have them. You know, you didn't have black directors back then on national television and you didn't have black associate producers or women. So Ellis changed all of that. He said, you want to be an actress? Come work with me as associate producer and I'll help you become an actress. That's Anna Maria Horsford from Amen. Mm -hmm. You know, and. And it's just amazing that he was always pushing the culture and pushing opportunities for people. And what what surprised me 50 years later is that it's still right here. It's still very, very emotional for people that that it, like it just happened, like this was a moment in their career that they will never forget. And so that energy, because I was worried, you know, it's 50 years ago and I was hoping I was worried, how am I going to convey that kind of vibe like it's happening today. So it doesn't feel like we're just looking back and being nostalgic. Mm -hmm. And what surprised me was like all those emotions were right on the surface mm -hmm. and that everybody was so invested in the show and that when it was canceled, you know, it left a hole, it left a void because there was no way to feel our true power in a way that was unfiltered and unapologetically Black. You know, other shows started to come on, right. like, um, uh, you know, different types of talk shows mm -hmm. and black power shows. Gil Noble had a show like Like It Is. Of well, course, know, Tony it Brown. It wasn't this show. It, it wasn't this show. And I think that's right. important that we say that because the fact that host wasn't wasn't born out of entertainment. He was born out of creativity. He's born out of production. And like you said, this project has been, and then the hairstyles, oh my goodness. That, oh, you know, like I said, uh, you know, it, it, those things, they had to be perfect. You had the, the perfect hairstylist, but you touched on some of your conversation about the presence of women as producers in the background of development, which we see now African-American women having such a prominent role as producers, as yourself. 
being a producer, writer, and creative minds. That's something we need to bring out in this interview because you are female. And like I said, we mentioned Anna, Anna, and Anna, 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 yeah. you know, who's a stardust, who still built her. And I was kind of surprised. I went, oh, that's Anna. And I went, because I didn't know that about her. I didn't know she had, was a writer. I didn't know she was a producer. All I knew about her was as an actress. And so mm-hmm. talk about seeing the layer of producers from a female perspective being the, the, the heartbeat of this show soul. Well, there was another producer who became the first of uh, the first woman and the first black woman associate producer on a show. And her name was Alice Hill Jackson. She's featured in our film. She was married to Hal Jackson, whom everyone, everyone would remember because he was such a force. He was also helping to um, book talent and find great artists to, to perform at the Apollo. And so she worked together with her husband. He also created uh, the Black Teen America, the first sort of Black teen pageants in America. And that was really important, too. So you have these people who are, you know, kind of cultural pioneers leading these behind the scenes, um, epic historic moments. And to have a woman like that connecting with talent and bringing them onto the stage, that was really significant because there was a woman's movement happening, but black women were not included in that. You know, we're never included in this idea of we are feminists too, and we're pushing for our rights too. So Ellis always knew that women were in the forefront and that wasn't unusual to empower women. It just seems unusual when we look back now when you realize nobody else was doing it. <laughs> right. No, but so you, you said an interesting name, Hal Jackson. Now, is this the and, same Hal Jackson, WBLS Hal Jackson? Uh, he was at WBLS as well, yeah. I know Hal. That's Steve Harvey yeah. and I were, were WBLS from 2005 to 2007 when he was doing Sundays. Okay, that okay. guy was amazing. He was truly uh, 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 legendary. Uh, um, legendary, but I didn't know. I didn't know that until you brought it up. But again, uh, walking in history, talking in history, being a part of history. How I was in my life for two years when I was in New York with Steve Harvey on WBLS, and we was, Steve was doing the morning show, and how I would do Sundays, and we he've always asked us to participate in community projects, and that's important. That you know, when I you know, I heard that name, I go, wow, this is pretty interesting that we are that connected in this relationship. But you brought in Blair Underwood into the project. Was it important to bring a name like that? How did he come into the relationship as far as a producer? He also did some voicing on the series. Because this is 10 years. So 10 years you you, had the idea can you just step us through, like, when did Stan get in, Stan Lathan get involved? When did Blair Underwood get involved? And when did you guys realize this project was going to be sold? Because it first was sold to a, a PBS format, correct? Right. Well, because the show originated on PBS, we thought it would be great to have a PBS premiere as kind of a homecoming. Mm-hmm. Because nobody has seen Soul for all these years. It's been in a vault, you know? And I just felt this show was made for the people by the people. It was free. You know, Ellis Hazlett put the public in public broadcasting. Right. He created a, a you know, it's it's not Downton Abbey and it's not Sesame Street, <laughs> but there is a black audience. There's a black nation. And he knew that. He always knew that. And so it was important for us to have a PBS premiere. And that happened during Black History Month. And that was really wonderful on Independent Lens. And they will continue to show the film for the next two years, every now and then. Mm-hmm. But what we wanted the film to reach a, 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 a 
a national audience as well. And HBO Max is an incredible platform for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it happened as well when the nation was pivoting mm-hmm. from the theater to digital and streaming, especially during COVID. Mm-hmm. And we just thought, well, what would Ellis Hazlip do? He right. would be on the cutting edge of content delivery and trying to reach the people, yes. just like he did back in the 70s. And in the 70s, he we didn't have social media. Right. And so he called it the drum. You know how in African communities, the drum was the message. The drum was how we got our message across how we learned how we were going to break away from freedom when we were enslaved. And, you know, there's a history of the drum. Right. And so Ellis would go out and he would call it the drum and he would canvas the black neighborhoods and say, did you see soul? Are you watching it? Are you digging it? Is it giving you what you need? What do you want to hear? What do you like? What do you dislike? And so he was really a man of the people and a man of the streets. So we thought, well, we got to honor that with a PBS broadcast, mm-hmm. but let's also honor the way People want to see content now on their phones, on their tablets and streaming at their own, um, you know, their own time when they're ready. So HBO Max was really key for that. And they are doing so much dynamic programming right now. And they seem to be the most diverse of all the platforms. You know, that was important to us, too. Now, how did how did Stan come on board and how did Blair Underwood come on board? So Stan came on board uh, originally as an interview, and we had to have Stan because he's uh, one of the original directors and some of the best episodes, the the Earth, Wind & Fire episode, the Al Green episode, Mm -hmm. you know, the Stevie Wonder episode, Mm -hmm. all of those were Stan Lathan. So we interviewed him, and then later on, after he saw the film, he said, you know, I really believe in this film, Melissa, I can't believe you got it done after 10 years. And I said, I would like to honor you and your connection and your career with this being your first job, really, mm-hmm. to be uh, to be an executive producer. And so he said, yes, absolutely. So he came on to executive produce and help us get it to the next level. Blair Underwood, we knew we needed the voice of Ellis Hayslip. And we wanted a man who kind of straddled that old school sound, but also was totally connected with a contemporary audience. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and Blair has that, you know, mm-hmm. I've loved him since L.A. Law. I'm not going to lie. Right. So <laughs> I've been a big fan. But I also knew that he was a voice actor because he is on the um, a, sh- uh, a show. Uh, it's an animated show, by the way. He does a lot of voiceovers, but he's yes, also he on The Lion King um, sequel called The Lion Guard. Mm-hmm. And I heard, I just happened to catch some episodes of that. And I thought, wow, he's really a great voice actor too. Mm-hmm. And we wanted somebody who would be the voice of Ellis Hazel, but not a caricature, not like a, like trying too hard. Like what would Ellis sound like if he were thinking, you right. know, what, right. Right. how do you get that, that interior blackness? Like you don't hear that a lot. You don't see it a lot in films. You don't get to know what a black man is thinking. Mm-hmm. Right. And because he was an intellectual, I said, and because he's deceased, we're like, we have to give him a voice so it feels like he is with us and he's leading his own story and telling his own truth. That's and awesome. once, once Blair got involved and understood, and after we we actually uh, showed him the film, he fell in love with it. Right. And he said, I want to be executive producer and do all that I can. Nothing to bring wrong with that. Home. Now, we're talking to Melissa, the writer, director of the series, Mr. Soul, because her uncle, Ellis Haslip, was the host of Soul, which was a right. PBS show that ran from 1968 to 19, 1973. Uh, among the guests, the show showcase included, like she said earlier, Al Green, Stevie Wonder, Earth, Wind & Fire, Patti LaBelle, Patti LaBelle. Gladys Knight, mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali, 
author James Baldwin in an intimate interview with poet Nikki Giovanni, Cicely Tyson, Cooling the Gang, and Doing Magic, a young Arsenio Hall. The show was... um, a very enlightening for me, the documentary I enjoyed from start to finish. When you walk, you, you're seeing history, and you're seeing history uh, played out in New York. You're being, seeing history played out in, in dramatic dr- in drama because you don't know if the show is going to get renewed and why is, and the underhand politics that get played into the whole process and that. And then you get to bring on talented producers or EPs like Stan Lakin, like Blair Underwood. And now it's being showcased on HBO Max. What's the next step for your brand and what's the next step for your production company? Well, we're also uh, brought on the wonderful producer, writer, Emmy, Grammy, no, not Grammy yet, but an Emmy winner, Lena Waithe. Yes. And she's one of our producers as well. Mm-hmm. We also have Chaz Ebert and it's, and we have um, just amazing people. Stephanie Rance from the Martha's Vineyard African-American Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And what we're working with Lena Waithe and her brand new record company called Hillman Grad Records to help mm-hmm. release the soundtrack of Mr. Soul. And that's going to come out via Def Jam and Universal Records. So we're just so excited because, you know, music in the film is is a character. You know, it's not like a backdrop or an underscore. But Black music is, and as Ellis Hazup said, you know, the, the soul, the floor for Black pride. And we really, with Robert Glasper as our uh, amazing composer, and then he wrote a song for Layla Hathaway, Mm -hmm. and that's a single that's going to be dropping very soon called Show Me Your Soul. And that was just a great song, and it was shortlisted for the Oscars this year for Best Original (laughs) Song. Well, the beauty of this is that your production company, Shoes in the Bed Productions, uh, like I said, you're a filmmaker, and that's your company, and that's the company that produces this particular project. Uh, as I close this interview, and uh, thank you for coming on my show. Thank you for the, giving me an early view of the Mr. Yeah. Soul uh, docuseries, which is wonderful. And in fact, when it comes on HBO Max, I'm going to recommend my friends to watch it, put it on social media. Please get those banners to me so we can put it out there. Any other projects in the works that we can look forward to seeing from your wonderful production company, Shoes in the Bed Productions? Well, Shoes in the Bed is just doing this, Mr. Soul, John. But I am also working on a new project with Netflix. I am co-executive producing, yeah, it's a series about women in hip hop. Uh, It's really the history of black womanhood in America, but it's explored through the lens of women in hip hop, their lives and their music. So, you know, it's the year of the black woman, so we got to represent. I'll just tell you that, Melissa. If you can turn that lens on Stan Latham and slow him down, because that young man right there is walking history. Uh, People just don't understand. He is truly a legend. I call him the godfather. Uh, when When I came into Hollywood in 1994 to be in a position to... Just not even understand who he was, but he was just so humble and good looking, and was uh, was at the we uh, was on ABC. He was the director of Steve Harvey's first sitcom, Me and the Boys, and over mm-hmm. the years, the uh, Deaf Comedy Jam, uh, the, the the Kevin Hart project is on a- ABC, uh, uh, the House uh, Hollywood. Uh, Husband's yep. Hollywood, uh, uh, Hollywood husband, or whatever the title of it is. It come, come, he, that's him 
behind that and so many other projects now on this. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations and talking about oh, Mr. So Soul, HB, HBO Max. Uh, uh, uncle, he graduated from HBCU, Howard University. Thank you for you sharing this story. <laughs> you are wonderful. And again, I will be promoting this on my social media. I'll be promoting this in my newsletter. Just the words out, just like him. You miss soul right now. Okay, you miss soul. You miss soul. He's miss soul. You miss soul. How you doing, miss soul? Miss soul. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations. Okay, Melissa. Thank you so much, Rashawn. We will be right back with more Money Making Conversation with Rashawn McDonald. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald for Money Making Conversation with your daily Minute of Inspiration. This week I sat down with the king of reality TV, Carlos King. He's produced The Real Housewives of Atlanta and created shows like OWN's very popular Love and Marriage Huntsville. He recently secured a first look deal with OWN where he will develop unscripted series for the network. My friends in the business knew that I loved reality TV. Mm -hmm. And the first reality show I was offered, funny enough, was The Real Housewives of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. It was a brand new show. I think it's the gift of the fact that I study people. Mm -hmm. So I know people, I know behavior, and I know a star within five seconds of talking to them. If you want to listen to this full interview with Carlos King, it's available on moneymakingconversation.com. Now let's return to Money Making Conversation with Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is Tina Andrews. She is an award-winning writer, producer, director, and author. Her epic CBS miniseries, Sally Hemings, An American Scandal, garnered her two NAACP Image Awards and a WGA Award for Long Form and became the first African-American woman to receive the Writers Guild of America honor for original long form. Tina also wrote and produced the successful CBS miniseries movie, Jackie, about Jackie Kennedy Onassis, and wrote the movie, Why Do Fools Fall in Love? One of my favorites with Halle Berry, Vivica A. Fox, Layla Rashawn, and my man, Lorenz Tate. Her acclaimed historical novel by Queen Charlotte, Charlotte Sophia, has been acquired by HBO Max, is now available as an audiobook as well. It's all about building your brand, and she's here to tell us how she's doing hers. Please, welcome to Money Making Conversations, Tina Andrews. Hi there. How you doing, Thank there, you Tina? Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, I always, I always <laughs> love... Um, when I bring talent, because you're African-American talent, but I see crossover opportunities uh, like we like we saw with the with the Jackie Onassis. Because we, sometimes we get pigeonholed. People say we can't tell, we can only tell a story based on our color. When you got that opportunity to do the Jackie Kennedy Onassis, walk us through the step of if there were some obstacles, how you was able to convince people that you could do this series. And when it turned out to be successful, what was the reaction? Well, uh, Rashad, I'm going to tell you something. That was the easiest gig I ever got. <laughs> I had done. <laughs> I mean, it's always you know always that way that whenever you're you're sort of pioneering, sometimes the the job becomes easier than most people think. Right. I had done Sally Hemings. Mm -hmm. Sally Hemings was a juggernaut success. Yes, it was. And so I get a phone call on a Monday morning from the powers that be at CBS. Mm -hmm. And I was told, hey, Tina, you love doing historical projects. I mean, I have something that we think would be in your sweet spot. Mm. We've acquired a book on, on the first lady, Jacqueline Bouvier Kennedy Onassis. How would you like to turn that into a four-hour 
miniseries. Mm -hmm. And I'm on the other end and I'm saying, Jackie Kennedy, I said, you realize you called a black woman, right? Right, 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 right. (laughs) And so I was told that they were so happy with what I had done with not only Sally, but it was also the dramatization of Thomas Jefferson Mm -hmm. that made them feel confident and comfortable in my handling First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy. And so I jumped at that opportunity because, you know, in the past, it has always been members of another culture writing our stories. Right. And so for a change, I said, oh, we can we can sort of flip the script on this and it'll be me mm-hmm. writing this wonderful indomitable first lady's story. So I hopped at that opportunity and it was wonderful because, first of all, I knew a lot about her. I had done um, a, a lot of work on uh, Jack Kennedy mm-hmm. and, of course, on Dr. Martin Luther King. Right. So the first thing I did was contact Mrs. King and I asked her if I could come down to Atlanta to meet with her mm-hmm. because I know she and Jackie had a uh, had a relationship. And mm-hmm. so then I thought, oh, I'll be able to add some things to a Jackie Kennedy story that a member of another culture may not have even been interested in adding. Thank so it, it's good for me. Mm-hmm. Now, the wonderful thing about it is that when you when you grab an iconic figure like she is, Jackie Kennedy Onassis, you know, you have some, I guess I said, some things already bedded in. How do you start layering it down to really, like you said, you, you was able to find a nugget in the relationship she had with Mrs. King, Dr. Martin Luther King's wife. Now, when you were doing your research, did any other interesting thing pop up in her that you didn't you didn't see coming that made for great storytelling in this four four uh four episode miniseries i um will tell you that they had given me a book that they bought so pretty much that book okay. told mrs kennedy's story mm-hmm. but what i was fascinated by is that uh mrs mrs kennedy had difficulties with her father her mm-hmm. father um Blackjack um, Bouvier, mm-hmm. you know, she 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 sort of felt like she was not the beloved Kennedy <laughs> daughter. Well, mm-hmm. not Kennedy at that time, Bouvier daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a, a good relationship with um, with her sister, but you know, like siblings, they sort of went in and out. And I wanted to show that it wasn't such an easy road for her. This is a woman who had the ambition to be a photographer. We we forget that. You know, before the pillbox passed, right there was this ambitious woman. Mm-hmm. You know the interesting thing about it, like I, I my I started out in Hollywood as a sitcom writer. Uh, you know they wrote you know uh, Steve Harvey's first sitcom in '93, mm-hmm. uh, Me and the Boys. '94, uh, me and the boys, and then we did uh, Robert Townsend's Parenthood. And I did ABC with Arsenio's Hall sitcom, and they did Sister Sisters with the twins T and Tamara Maury, and went over to mm-hmm. Jamie Foxx, and I did the Parkers. And along the way, I'm feeling that I have a skill set that can be transferable. And this is what we were talking about earlier when you said you, you they called you as an African-American to do a white project. And every time I wrote a sitcom or try to get on a home improvement at the time or a Seinfeld or Friends, I had to write their style of sitcom. Otherwise, they felt that I wasn't a real writer. And, and just talking to young people and talking to people who are aspiring to be in this industry, 
which is what we call Hollywood. It really does. You really can't be pitted into a corner and said, this is what you only can do. And that's why I, that's why I champion and admire what you are accomplishing as a writer, as a producer, because you know, that's a hard, that's a hard wall to a door to open. That walking over to say I can do any type of project because I have the skill set. Do not deny me because of the color of my skin. Correct, Miss. Right, or gender, or age, or any of that. I am not any. I'm not into any of the isms. But I will <laughs> tell you, Rashawn, I had to show people what I could do first. Now, let's face it: for many of us of color, the door to success here in Hollywood is writing a comedy. You said you started out doing quite a few um, comedies. Mm-hmm. I could not get a movie made unless it was funny, mm-hmm. or if I did have a piece that was uh, serious in nature. I was always told, add the funny to it. For instance, uh, I'll give you an example. On the movie that you said you liked, Why Do Fools Fall in Love? Mm-hmm. That's a serious film about a young man who ended up spiraling into the abyss of drug abuse. In fact, heroin abuse. Right. And yet he had married three women and not divorced any of them before he died and left this estate. And that became the through end to the story. Mm-hmm. Well, at the end of the day, those three women you know, started out hating each other. And so it left room for some very sort of funny things to go on in that courtroom situation. And I remembered being told by Warners, oh, my God, Tina, every time you put the three women <laughs> together in a room, it's hilarious. Right. So, um, you know, do a little more than that so that we don't spend so much time Mm -hmm. in his slow um, descent into Mm -hmm. drug abuse. So I needed to show people that I could write seriously. Mm -hmm. So once I became successful doing those types of films, I was then able to say to the agency, hey, let's get out there and sell the stuff that I already have written to show people that I am a, a dramatic writer. And that stuff took off. Yeah. Congratulations. You know, I'm talking to Tina Andrews. Uh, I want to say, can I say the word brilliant, Tina Andrews? <laughs> you know, uh, award-winning <laughs> Tina Andrews. Can I add some more to it? It was a series that's been acquired <laughs> by HBO Max called Charlotte Sophia. Uh, you yes. know, I, I know we're going to get to that, but i just like to talk about the journey because if I start there at the HBO Max project, I really don't, feel that people will appreciate the journey, you know, and I, I would throw out my little acting credit, Tina, you know, I, I starred in uh, Jason's lyrics. I was a tap dancer and way back oh. in the day in Houston, Texas and fast Freddy was my name. And then I read your bio and it's tied to the amazing series that changed television roots That's right? by Alex. Hayden. That's right. And I, you know, I, I still, you know, because we look at television now, you see so many African-Americans on commercials, you see mixed couples, you see African-Americans hugging each other, you mean mixed couples. It's just really television has evolved in such a, and just five years ago, you know, they, they, they tried to take Cheerios off the shelves because they had a little, a little, uh, a little white looking girl. A little biracial in. girl. Yes, right. that's right. Right. And so, and so, but you were on television with a, with a, by the project about slavery, if you could walk roots, everybody, an iconic series now, but we didn't know how people would react to that. But you were part of that, and I'm sure it affected your life, your thought process, and also threw you in the forefront of, of American conversation. Talk about that. We can journey back there a little bit and then move forward. 
Okay. Well, actually, I would like to take one. I would like to go one project just before Roots. We have to remember, I had the first interracial relationship on daytime television mm -hmm. on Days of Our Lives. Oh, you see, they didn't put that in the bio, Natina. They didn't put that in the oh. bio. <laughs> you know, I well, did my research. Was, I did my research. That bio was cut because that was a, ma that it, that was a major, major um, uh -huh. uh, uh, project for me to be involved with. We kissed on a Friday uh -huh. after two years of, you know, looking lovingly at each other. <laughs> and we kissed on a Friday and 5,000 negative, horrible hate letters came to NBC. Right. So I know what it's like to be involved in a project that's, that gets a lot of attention and that becomes very controversial. Mm -hmm. Right after I, I left Days of Our Lives, because of that negative publicity, I had to go. I was the one who was let go, not the white guy. Right, right. Mm -hmm. I wow. ended up in Roots. And we knew from the second we got the, the very first pilot episode that it was going to be phenomenal. The book had been so successful. I had worked for two of the directors who were uh, involved in it. And one of them was the one who called me and said, I've got two roles here. Pick one, whichever one you want, Beautiful. you can do it. Mm -hmm. And I was so grateful um, to John Ehrman for that opportunity and we got involved and it felt like the ancestors carried us through the entire production mm -hmm. we were on the shoulders of those who came before so we instantly knew that we were going to be a successful miniseries we just didn't know how successful as a result of that of course i became very good friends with um with alec Alex Haley. Mm -hmm. And it was Alex mm -hmm. who, quite frankly, gave me my first opportunity as a writer. Mm -hmm. And by the way, as a writer to work with him right. on a PBS project. So I am indebted to, again, those who've gone before. I am indebted to Mr. Haley for, uh, for first of all, having written Roots and then for allowing me to be in Roots. And then I sent him, frankly, a Bob Marley story and I sent him Sally Hemings mm -hmm. and he read those two uh, scripts and said, called me, in fact, and said, when did you become such a good writer? We need <laughs> to do a project together. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is eight Emmy Awards winning yes, Alex yes, Haley who yes, wants to work with yes, me. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so there there have been a series of situations where the career built. Mm -hmm. We know interesting. And then thing. it built to uh, the Charlotte Sophia project. Well, you know, let's 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 go to that now because we all know that uh, Tina when you talk about it's really your story is so interesting because like I said when you are first when you are a groundbreaker, a pioneer, I can use those term, those terms in front of you, because sometimes uh, you get setbacks. Like you said, you do you did a you did a role that was requested in your days of our lives, and then all of a sudden a letter comes in, and and the network becomes frightened by it, and you are terminated. Right. That 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 moment of being out there, who did you call in? Who did you who did you seek? advice from or support from or would you did you feel you were just out there by yourself and no one could help you oh no my father was still alive my father is the i mean probably the most important person in terms of the career mm -hmm. i would call my father crying all the time right. <laughs> during during days of our lives with the negative publicity they would not let me get my mail before we shot for the day 
Mm-hmm. The network said, give her her fan mail after she finishes so that I could go home and cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I called daddy and I said, I don't know what's going on, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really depressed. I can't find really great. There are not enough really great, empowering, dignified roles for black women. And I feel like I, you know, I'm going to be stuck in this situation of playing, you know, the drug addict or the, uh, or the round the way girl or whatever. Uh, too much of that is coming up. Yes, it is. And my father had it with me. And he said, look, I sent you to NYU to be a playwright. You were supposed wow. to be a writer. Yeah, I know you wanted to dance, but I figured that was only going to last a few years. You were going to really find your voice as a as a playwright. Why are you complaining about the roles that are not there when you are capable of writing those roles? Wow. You need to take your writing career seriously. It's all cute that you're an actress, but I'm afraid that one of these days someone is going to ask you to be naked in a movie. Mm-hmm. And you're going to say yes to that role because you can't pay your rent. Mm-hmm. I would much prefer you call me and let me send you the money for your rent. And you sit down in those days. Of course, we're talking typewriters <laughs> down at the typewriter. I'll be able to select. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> and he said, and you write that dignified, empowered role for a black woman that you would like to play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some years later, there was a movie, a Kevin Costner movie, and the and the, the tagline was, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. Feel the dreams. Yes, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And my father was correct. In his library was a book by historian, Black historian, J.A. Rogers. And it was called Race and Sex. And the second page in was a big picture of a woman who clearly looked ethnic, but she was in royal attire. And it was a black and white. Obviously, it wasn't, you know, a color. And it said, Charlotte Sophia, England's first black queen. Mm -hmm. And I read back and said, what? Black queen? Mm -hmm. How do we not know that? Listen, how, how was I not taught that? Mm-hmm. In my history classes, we were taught about King George yes. and him going mad. Yes. <laughs> and, the, and the Revolutionary War that he sent the Redcoats, you know, over here to fight us against. We knew everything about the husband. Why did we not know that his wife was a woman of color? I could not find that much research in those days. And so I sort of put it in the back of my mind. One of these days, I'm going to write that story. Mm -hmm. And at the time I'm thinking maybe, who knows, I can get Halle Berry to play it. This is before Fools. This is before uh, Sally Hemme. This is before all of that. My father died and left me his library. Mm -hmm. And all of those books came to my then house in um, the Hollywood Hills. Mm -hmm. And I found it again. And I said, you know, you may, you may want to investigate this story. And when Sally Hemings had done so well, People began to ask, what are you going to do for an encore? What do you do next? <laughs> What's so how next? you top Sally yeah. Hemings? And I thought, wow, this would be the project. Not realizing it was going to take me eight years to write the book and all the research, two and three times going to London. Of course, I need no excuse to go to London. I love, <laughs> I love London. Mm-hmm. But I was there researching at the British Library, at the Windsor and Buckingham Archives, at the British Museum. Uh, And then I put it together. And the moment that book hit the marketplace, 
There was a surge of, of course, British people who were saying, oh, no, no, we're not going to let you do this. This is not a story that we're interested in. And yet British people were buying the book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I get last year a phone call out of the blue from an HBO executive who said, uh, I'd like to um, I'd like to speak to Tina Andrews. And I said, speaking. And so she said, <laughs> you know, here's who I am at. You know, and I'm at HBO Max uh, in International. And my mother loved your book. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, your mother? <laughs> and so she said, my mother turned me on to this book. And she said, when you get your promotion, let this be the first book that, that you buy to have on the, uh, on the channel. Wow. And I nearly died because once again, it was like spirit creating the atmosphere and the environment and the place to put that story after so long with the research. Well, you know, the thing I love about talking to you, first of all, um, it's almost like I'm talking to royalty. You're so elegant and you're so pronounced in your tone. You're so elegant in your gestures. And, you know, there's a certain amount of uh, success and confidence in uh, in speaking to you. You know, I hope people watch this. You can hear it on audio, of course, but I hope people get, get to watch this actual interview because it's impressive when I see people, because you've, you've had a journey in your life and sometimes journeys can beat you down. Sometimes journeys can wear you down. I just see that when I'm looking at you and listening to you, Tina, I'm seeing a person who, who basically um, understands the purpose of who you are. And your father obviously built that into you and said, hey, this is who you are. This is who you can be. Control your destiny. Is that key to what I'm saying? That basically, I know that's why I stopped acting and became a writer and producer. I felt I can control my destiny. Plus, I realized, you know, one day I'm going to get old and I can probably still write. I can probably still produce. I can stop being creative. But they can minimize my success based on my color and based on my age. But they can never minimize my success based on how I think. If I'm topical and I'm staying very current. And that's what you are. You're very current and very topical. And so this series is coming out on HBO Max, you did something very, very much very key, audio book. Talk about that whole relation and hearing the words articulated by the brilliant actress. Can I tell you, again, it was another one of those, I, I do think of my life and I talk about my life in spiritual terms because I have had a lot of hardship. It's, it has not all been easy sailing trying to get to the top. There's, you know, you, you hit a platform <laughs> yes, and then you uh, fall and then you're building back up again. So it's been a long career, but sometimes along the way, you get these opportunities that just come to you you have to be prepared. You know, it's what they say that that, you know, luck is opportunity met with preparedness. And I've been prepared. I'm um, minding my own business on Facebook. And I had an editor who at one point um, had had turned down my uh, the opportunity to publish my book. Wow. And I had said. I had posted that day, well, if you guys are loving Bridgerton, don't forget my book is still out where I wrote about Queen Charlotte. And I put a, you know, the cover of the uh, a photo of the cover of the book on Facebook, went on about my business. Later on that afternoon, I got a private message and it was Carol saying, Tina, I don't want to make the mistake that I made earlier when <laughs> when when we didn't publish your book because look what has happened to you and it and 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 onward 
um, I am at Recorded Books now. I'm in acquisitions. Is are rather are the audiobook rights available? Wow. Once again, I go, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I love your life. So I go, yes, yes, they are. <laughs> and she said, well, I would love to acquire, uh, I would like to acquire them. Uh, we'd like to do a whole big push. You will be in charge of choosing, you know, who narrates your book. And I'm thinking, boy, I had a number of British actresses, Black British actresses that I thought could do a really credible job. And she said, you send me your list. She said, we also have a list of some people who have worked and done audiobooks for us who are also Black, female, and British. We'll send you their names. And then you go through and you pick out the one that you want to narrate your book. Mm -hmm. And my God, their list was alphabetical. And at the top of the list is Adjua Ando. And Adjua Ando, for those of you out there who don't recognize her by name, she plays Lady Danbury yes. mm -hmm. on Bridgerton. Absolutely. She is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So as far as I was concerned, the search was over. Right. <laughs> the search right. Was over. right. <laughs> so I called Carol and I said, are you kidding me? And he said, well, she's done like 200 audiobooks." And I said, this is the actress. Mm -hmm. She will give it the class and the gravitas. She will also do other characters. She's an amazing, amazing actress. I knew of her prior to Bridgerton. And so I said, please tell me that we can, can have her. And she said, I'll get back to you in a couple of days. And sure enough, <laughs> a couple of days later, she said, Adjua is yours. Wow. So working with this phenomenal actress who made that book come to life. Oh, Rishan, it was, it, it, it is an experience for anyone who listens to that. But I, you know, at, at certain points in time, I, no, no joke, I, I will listen to the audio book and I'll say, wow, mm -hmm. I wrote that. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. That's an act, that's, that's brilliance of her bringing it to life. But you know, I want to, I want to say this before we wrap up the interview and uh, it's, it's something about being prepared that really comes across when I, when I, when I share this interview and I, want, I hope people listen when she, when she got the call for roots, you know, despite dire consequences that happened in her life prior to that, she was ready. When she got the call for Jackie Kennedy Onassis, you know, despite the success of Sally Hemming and her, and this is a project with African-American female talking about an iconic white, white American female, she was ready. When she got the call about the, the rights to her book, uh, Charlotte Sophia, you know, she was ready, not only ready, but also to be bold enough to say, this is the one we should select. There's something about that that really rings true about your life, Tina Andrews, and it makes it very special that you're, the, you're a decision maker, you're a person who understands what you want to do in life, and has led so much to your level of success. If you had to give someone some advice before we exit here, what would you give somebody advice who's watching the show or listening to this interview on Money Making Conversations? I will say you need to be your authentic self. Mm -hmm. Whoever that is, do not, first of all, do not let anybody tell you what you can't be. Mm -hmm. You will show them who you are, <laughs> which means who you can be. Um, try not to follow the road that is that is whittled down by heavy traffic doing what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. You create your own road 
and do that thing that God has placed on your heart for you to do. It's okay to be singular and unique and authentic because some, if you like it, someone out there is also going to like it. And right now we're in, certainly in this business that we're in, we got five or 600 channels. You got to feed that beast. There is someone who's going to want what you have to say. Mm-hmm. So say it. I love it. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation, Tina Andrews. Thank you for having me. And if you want to hear any of my interviews or see any of my interviews, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. You've been listening to Money Making Conversations with Rashawn McDonald. Please join us next week. And always remember, lead with your gifts. Money Making Conversations is a presentation of 3815 Media Incorporated. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversations with your daily Minute of Inspiration. This week I sat down with ESPN sports anchor and ABC News legal analyst Ryan Smith. Since I've known Ryan, I've seen nothing but continued success. It's incredible how he's blended his legal background with sports and entertainment, but still allowing himself room for growth. I felt like I was always chasing something. Mm -hmm. So the goal actually is to love what I do. I like having a balanced life. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's not just about anchoring one show or doing one brand or making this amount of money. For me, it's can I continue to anchor shows that I love, that I'm interested in and stuff that motivates me. And so right now I'm kind of living my goal. But (laughs) but to be honest with you, I mean, for me, it's continue to do this work and continue to do it better and better every day. If you want to listen to this full interview with Ryan Smith, it's available on moneymakingconversations.com.